welcome. You are listening to the Pursuit of Wellness podcast. We are podcasting from London. And hi to all Londoners that decided to join me again and to all new listeners. I'm your host, Daria Tiesler, health educator, ex-professional athlete, personalized and lifestyle medicine advocate, registered nutritional therapist, personal trainer, performance coach, and a founder of Daria Tiesler Wellness. Your search for wellness is just about to begin. Each time you set your frequencies onto pursuit of wellness, you're going to learn something new about yourself, your body, your health, and your mind. In this podcast, we are going to explore CBD oil, its benefits on human body, and how it influences our brain, sleep, gut, recovery, and why it has been so popular in recent years. Five, four, three, two, one, let's go. I would like to welcome to my guest on Pursuit of Wellness podcast. Dr. Deepa is a practicing physician with an interest and passion, huge, huge passion in integrative and precision nutrition and precision medicine. She is a well-known TV personality and blogger. She says, I am dedicated to healing the mind, body and spirit and teaches my in teaches four pillars of healthy lifestyle as a successful journey to wellness. You don't have to be better than everybody else, she says. You just have to be better every day, better than yourself. You have to create the best version of yourself. Hi, Deepa, and welcome, and thank you for coming. Thank you for having me. Deepa, how did you start your wellness journey, and how did you enter into the path of mind, body, and spirit healing? So I have always been on this path, really. It was something that since I was a little girl, I was a um, competitive athlete. I was a dancer. I was always into taking care of myself um, from even before I knew what really the health and wellness journey was. So, And I am of Eastern Indian origin. I'm first generation born in America. So I grew up really bridging two cultures. I grew up in a very traditional Indian household as, and you know, um, integrative and Ayurvedic medicine are really intertwined. So I grew up really seeing a lot of Ayurvedic culture in my home. I saw my dad back in the eighties doing yoga, which at that time was relatively unknown. Um, and now it's still popular in the Western world. I grew up drinking golden milk, using spices and not really knowing this was something we've been doing in India and Ayurvedic medicine for over 10,000 years. So as I, you know, went through school, completed my education um, in America, you know, after high school, you go to college, I got accepted right into medical school. So the training was very long, but I realized what the difference was between Western medicine and with what I was learning, you know, in my life. And it, there was a disconnect there for me. So when I graduated medical school and, you know, as a doctor, I went into the traditional westernized insurance-based healthcare, which is a very fractured system here in America. And um, I wasn't quite happy with what I was doing because for me, I have to practice what I preach and preach what I practice. So I couldn't find myself telling people to do something I would never do or that I wouldn't advise my family members or friends to do. So it was during about... Six years ago, it was a very difficult time in my life, um, very challenging time where I was going through a divorce. Um, my ex-husband is also a physician. He's a surgeon. And we had met in medical school when we were about 22. And we just, you know, the marriage was crum crumbling. I was getting a divorce. And then my dad passed away. And my dad passed away from taking a pharmaceutical medication. And I knew at that moment... I had to make a change and I had to be the change that I wanted to see in the world. So I decided I'm going to leave traditional medicine, though I'm still a traditional MD by training, and I'm going to find my own path. And so I created my practice, Synergistic Integrative Health, and I started it from scratch, from nothing, just with hope and faith with zero dollars. And it blossomed into something, I mean, quicker than I knew. And um, I don't take insurance in my practice, which was actually very unusual. Um, but I just, you know, I was so um, hopeful and I had so much faith in what I was doing and I knew that I was going to spread the wealth of health and it would be successful. And that's where it all started about six years ago, just a little over six years ago. And now I'm doing so well with the practice that I'm going to be expanding into another location. And I actually see people around the um, country, about a third of my practice are people who live in other states. Um, I even have people in other countries who seek my um, help. So 
And this is something now that is very widespread and people are looking to live healthier, live longer. And I think we have to practice more preventative and proactive medicine. Right. Uh, one of the reasons I did invite you to uh, to this podcast and was like I was very uh, so flattered that you say yes. It was because you are a practicing physician and you have that background in uh, medical science, medical degree. And, uh, you know, often we say, oh, you know, this integrative medicine, precision medicine, functional medicine does not have scientific background. And uh, how does it work? Does it have scientific background, right? Yeah, it does. Absolutely. And I think it's important, you know, as a physician, because you still have to have that medical basis, right? Um, I think now the problem that I'm seeing is, especially with social media, there are, everybody's out there and everybody is an influencer and everybody wants to advise people. And I just, the caution that I have, especially as a physician, um, is when people don't have that medical background, they can advise you on the wrong things. And I've seen a lot of misinformation out there on Instagram, on Facebook, where people are advising people to do things and they have no background. They're not certified in anything. And that's very worrisome for me as a physician, because without the proper knowledge, without getting proper labs and testing done, you could be doing something and harming yourself even further just because it seems like it's the good thing to do. You know, there are no cookie cutter diets. Nothing is going to be general. You know, there, I individualize treatments for everybody. So it's absolutely important. I mean, I'm double board certified. So I have a certification in family medicine, but I also got board certified in integrative holistic medicine. So whether you call it integrative functional anti-aging medicine, it is important to have that medical background. Right. I, I completely agree. And, uh, you know, I always say that, uh, you know, I practice within my scope of uh, of practice, yes. right? And then you have yes. to find someone who you can uh, work with or refer. And I agree with you. And I think you make a great point about uh, Instagram and social media. It's a great, uh, amazing tool, but we have to be yes. very sensitive what we're reading, how we're reading and uh, where those informations are coming from and who gives us those information. What exactly. wellness means to you, Deepa? Wellness to me encompasses mind, body, spirit. I think in the Western medicine system, we tend to dissect the mental and physical. And it's that's worrisome to me because, you know, how we feel affects our physical and how we our physical statuses affects how we feel. I'm very big on gut health. You know, a lot of people don't know that we produce over 80% of our serotonin and about dopamine, which are our happy neurotransmitters. They make us feel good. They're mood boosters. We produce that in the gut. When you have poor gut health, when you're not eating right, that affects your mental state. Things like stress that you can't measure. And that's the problem. If you can't measure it, people don't believe you. We can measure blood pressure. We can measure cholesterol. We can measure sugar. We can tell people, oh, your blood pressure is high. Your sugar is high. You need to take this medication. You need to do this. But if someone comes to me and says, or any physician, and they say, I'm not feeling good, I'm sad, I'm depressed. What do we say? We say, oh, it's all in your head. Here, take a Prozac, you'll be better. No one addresses that because we can't quantify it. It's intangible. And that's a big problem. You know, We see mental health awareness now becoming more of a thing to look out for. You know, We worry about people committing suicide, all that type of stuff, but we don't link it to other things that are going on. I can measure it. I can check your neurotransmitters. I can check your inflammatory markers. I can help you. I'm not going to go and tell you to take a Prozac or a Zoloft. Wellness encompasses our whole being, our whole spirit. And if we understand that and we live synergistically and have everything in harmony, then you're going to feel well. That's what wellness means to me. It's a beautiful ex explanation and, and descriptions. And I think um, so many uh, experts and healers that are coming to this podcast are having very similar view, right? We are going beyond the physical self. And yes. today's podcast, uh, our topic is CBD, uh, CBD oil. Mm -hmm. And um, when I explained you the first time I spoken with you, why I wanted to talk about that is because actually it helped me in 2018 uh, when my sister suddenly passed away and helped to all my uh, family. And I had also lots of questions from my clients coming about uh, coming about CBD oil. And I said, you know what, I think maybe that is a good topic to talk about because in the last few years, it's a very popular trend and it's coming often as a wellness trend, right? What does it, what is this CBD uh, oil and what stands for? Can we explore that a little bit? 
Oh, absolutely. So this is actually a very um, uh, close topic that's near to my heart because CBD stands for um, cannabinoids, cannabidiol, actually. And CBD is a component of cannabis. So we have to actually look at the whole umbrella of cannabis. So cannabis dates back to over 10,000 years in India and China. The problem is here in the Western world, it is very new. And everything that started in the East slowly made its way West, whether we talk about acupuncture, Ayurvedic medicine, all those kind of Eastern holistic treatments, those are age, century-old treatments and remedies. And being of Eastern Indian origin, it is it was very close to me because I understood the meaning behind it. Um, it's actually associated with one, one of our gods in the Trinity, Lord Shiva. And cannabis is actually called the giver of joy. Um, and if we understand that we actually have an endocannabinoid system called the ECS that developed before our brain did, then you will understand why cannabis works so well to make people healthier and happier mentally and physically. Right. So we have receptors. In our, yeah. This, I lecture about cannabis um, on a national level, even internationally. I am part of the American Academy of Anti-Aging Medicine. It's called A4M. It's actually a global group. This year is very exciting for me because I'll be going to Taiwan and Dubai and Thailand to lecture about everything anti-aging. Um, so I go on that global level and educate other practitioners and other people who want to learn more about this. So cannabis, I started lecturing for A4M and it was so amazing to me just to even talk to fellow physicians and they had no idea about the endocannabinoid system. They had no idea that it's natural to us and that is a therapeutic plant because over here in the Western world, when you get to Europe and you get to America, we think it's a drug. We think it's an illegal drug. In fact, it's placed on our um, schedule one uh, and the controlled substances, which is up there with things like LSD and cocaine and heroin. And that's very scary because cannabis is not a drug. It's a plant. It's therapeutic. We have receptors in the brain and the body and the gut that need cannabis. And I will tell you something, endocannabinoid deficiency is a huge problem. We talk about vitamin deficiency. We should talk about endocannabinoid deficiency. We starve our body. We actually make our own cannabinoids. So there are three types. There are phytocannabinoids, which phyto means from the plant. Endocannabinoids are endogenous cannabinoids that we make in the body. People don't know that we actually need omega, the oil, to produce cannabinoids. And I check omega levels in standard blood work. And most people have very low omega. Omega is actually a mood lifter. It's not just good for your heart and your brain and your cholesterol. And then we have synthetic cannabinoids, and that would be the pharmaceutical type cannabinoids like Marinol and things like that, where you make it in a lab. So it's natural to us. The plant, nobody in the history of the world has died of a marijuana overdose. You cannot because it is natural to us. We have receptors and we don't have the receptors in that part of the brain that will suppress our respiration and our heart. And that is what happens with opiate overdose. So that is why we see so many people die of those kind of drugs. And what happened was when cannabis um, came to light basically thousands and thousands of years ago, because it's a plant, um, it started making its way West, went through the Middle East, made, went to Europe. And then Linus Pauling had uh, given its name. Cannabis was the scientific name. It's actually known as many other things. Um, it's like bong. Um, it's known as um, ganja, hashish. So those are actually the more traditional names that you get from the East. But cannabis is actually a westernized name, a European classification. Then it made its way over to the New World as explorers came over and made its way to America. And it's actually hard to believe that we had flourishing cannabis plantations back in the 1800s and 1900s. It was actually widely accepted and used for many medical issues like cholera and things like that. But what happened at the turn of the century in the 1900s was we had the advent of the pharmaceutical industry and we had politics and with people like Rockefeller and Carnegie that were funding the, our medical schools. And that's why Western medicine is so new because our medical schools were only made about a hundred years ago and they were funded by pharmaceutical companies. So there was a, a shift towards using natural remedies towards, Hey, let's start using synthetic pharmaceuticals. And what happened was the Mexican immigration was when it all changed. And what happened was they called it marijuana, right? We called it cannabis. And xenophobia was very present because in America, we don't want immigrants coming in, right? Which is very ironic because America is built on immigrants, right? America is a new world. 
the native Indians were really what were the native population. Everybody who lives in America who's American comes from another country, whether it's Europe or Asia or Africa or South America. But what happened was we were scared of the Mexican immigrants, just like back in the day, we banned opium because we wanted to ban the Chinese from immigrating into California, into San Francisco and all those areas. So the same thing happened with marijuana. We had racism. We didn't want the Mexicans coming over. We were saying that marijuana made people crazy. They had the film come out that was called Reefer Madness. There was a lot of politics going on during the Nixon era, everything like that. Reagan, it was the anti-drug war. And then in the 70s, we had the Controlled Substance Act and they decided to put marijuana on there and ban it and say that this is a dangerous substance. It has no medical implications. And that's really when it all started. And then we associate marijuana, a cannabis in America with high school kids and college kids getting stoned, right? They smoke it. They don't, you know, they just act however. But, you know, the interesting thing is Cannabis, like I said, no one's ever died of an overdose, but cannabis also doesn't make you violent. It's very chilling. It relaxes you. We saw it in the hippie era. It's like a peace loving kind of thing because remember we have the receptors in our brain and our body that make us just feel so amazing. It's very calming. I use it a lot in my patients for things like, um, anxiety, insomnia, all that kind of stuff. And it just really helps people calm down. It's great for cancer, for MS. It's actually implicated in a lot of medical conditions. I do prescribe medical marijuana, which the difference between medical marijuana and just CBD hemp is that, you know, it is obviously federally illegal in America. And that's a THC content. So CBD hemp is actually legal in all 50 states. And that requires a THC content to be less than 0.3%. When you get to the medical marijuana, it's when you have more THC, which is a psychoactive substance. So when we talk about CBD, we talk about THC. Those are your two main chemicals in, in cannabis. So that's what we say when we refer to CBD and then THC. So that's how I kind of summarize it for my patients. Oh, that's very extensive and history, yeah. lots of history <laughs> behind. But I think it's uh, great to know all of this, right? So uh, we can connect on some levels. Why in recent years CBD became so popular? CBD became popular because back in the 80s, we started doing research and Israel was behind a lot of this research. Dr. Raphael Meshulam had started studying um, the receptors and we discovered the, we saw the brain, we saw the body and we said, oh my gosh, what are these receptors that do so well when someone takes cannabis? And then that's what it all started in the 80s. And research was showing how it helps with inflammation, with cancer, with insomnia, anxiety. And we just started doing so much more research and it opened up the doors. So we started having funding for it. We started doing scientific studies. We still have a long way to go because we can't say, okay, well, 10,000 years ago, this is why we used it. Okay, that's fine. But everybody likes research. And that's why I think history is important. That's why I went into the history of it. Because when you understand the background of cannabis, it really starts making sense. Right. Okay. So uh, when we're talking about how is CBD made, right? So you said that yes. they are, two, two one is like a medical prescribed and another one is CBD, right? And there is, uh, can you re uh, remind us once again? So how is made? So the, the, you have the cannabis plant. Okay. So let's take that as a whole umbrella. Let's start off with cannabis. And then how there are hundreds and hundreds of chemicals, but CBD and THC are your two most important chemicals. Those are what everybody knows it by. So CBD stands for cannabidiol. Okay. That's hemp. And the what, how you classify that is it has less than 0.3% THC. THC is the other chemical. Once you have a higher level of THC, then you're going to classify, well, this is how we do it in America, but we classify that as medical marijuana, which was, which requires a physician to prescribe it to you. Okay. Again, these are rules it, because it's federally illegal here. We have state law. So I'm in Florida you know, obviously it's legal in Florida, uh, a lot of states and even Canada, they have passed the law that it can be used recreationally. But I think what we want to really focus on is just the medical aspect. So you have CBD hemp, which is legal in all 50 states. You can typically use that as an oil, as a capsule. You can use, um, people can vape it. We do have some issues with vaping now because we were having lung related injuries and we have, we're having a lot of teenagers and young people smoking it. So we're trying to ban the vaping, but, um, and the e-cigarettes. 
And then we have the medical marijuana, um, but you, pretty much people can take it in any form. Oil tinctures are the most common, you know, putting the oil under the tongue, capsules. Topical is really helpful for people rubbing it on if they have pain. Um, we also do have um, smoking, the flower, the bud. So those are all ways you can do it. But when I say CBD and THC, those are the two main chemicals in cannabis. There are several other chemicals that we are finding that help with other things. Um, CBG, CBN are the big ones as well. Um, but when I focus on cannabis, we're going to mainly talk about CBD and THC. THC is a psychoactive component. This is what makes people stoned. This is what makes people a little, um, maybe they might have some hallucinations or so when we think about college kids smoking or people getting stoned, it is because of the THC component. Right. It's very, very clear now. Thank you very much. That's why I wanted to uh, kind of break this down once again. So I yes. I think I need to check what is uh, here in Europe and the UK, because I think it's actually the, 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 one, the one component with THC. Actually, that component is there. So uh, I know that yeah. you said that it's in a, it's a illegal uh, in America, but like it's a medical one, right? It's a medical need, grade, right? I mm-hmm. need to look at actually uh, here. Right. What is the scientific literature telling us about uh, CBD oil or the medical I mean, grade one? What is the literature saying? So, you know, THC might not be for everybody. I do a lot of genetic testing, um, which is actually very fascinating because you might take something, Daria, that works really well for you and I might take it and it has no effect on me or it actually makes me feel crazy. So genetic testing is actually very important to actually look at the receptors and how you metabolize CBD and THC versus how I do it. Someone, I've had patients where they take a very little amount of THC and it makes them completely crazy. And then I've had someone who takes a lot of THC and it doesn't do anything for them. So I think the first thing to establish is we're all different and we all have different genetics and we all metabolize, not just cannabis. We all, we metabolize vitamins, pharmaceuticals, food. We all have different ways of utilizing them in the body. But really when we look at like the difference between CBD and THC, we have to explain to patients that you're going to have a different reaction. So always start with testing. And then I think the main thing also is what are we using it to treat? Because there's so much scientific research and literature that shows that it helps with mental and physical stuff. So I really sit down with the patient and I talk to them and, you know, you can recommend general things. I think the other, the other problem is here, at least here in America is, um, you know, a lot of these things are just sold everywhere. You can go to a gas station and buy CBD. That doesn't necessarily mean it's good quality. I always recommend my patients to get pharmaceutical grade and physician regulated products. I think even if you're taking vitamins, it's important to know what's in it. I wouldn't take something that you just buy in a vitamin store or off the internet because we live in the day and age where everything is, um, on the internet, you know, social media, like we see these ads. And I mean, I've had patients come here and say, oh my God, I saw this, but I wasn't sure. And I wanted to talk to you about it. Always make sure you talk with a practitioner or physician, a knowledgeable person to see the quality that you're taking, because you can say I'm taking CBD oil and it can have so many toxic substances and pesticides in there. And it actually can make you feel worse. And then you're going to have a negative outlook on it, right? You're going to say, oh, it didn't work for me. It made me feel bad. So quality is really important. And understanding what you're taking it for is really important. And then if you do decide that you need something more medical grade because you have a condition like glaucoma or cancer or multiple sclerosis, that's where we introduce THC because that can work on different receptors than just a CBD. But I, I, I'm fine. I'm, I encourage people with taking, trying CBD, because like I said, we have the system, the endocannabinoid system that needs it. And we're starving those receptors. And I think everyone can benefit from them. Right. There are precautions if you're younger, though. So we can talk about that later if you're a teenager, so, because the brain is still forming. But we have uh, Charlotte's Web Law and everything here where children who've had repetitive seizures and things like that have basically gone down from like 200 seizures in a week to basically like one a month. You know, so this is fascinating and the research is ongoing. Right. So th- that is very kind of like positive, right? I That's why I, I wanted to speak about that to someone who 
knows the stuff, <laughs> right? And he yes. definitely knows your stuff. I think you make yeah. a great point also, Deepa, about finding the quality products, right? And you mentioned it's not only about CBD, but also the all the era and nation of uh, supplementation, right? And finding someone yes. who knows why, how, and, uh, you know, don't just buy off internet. And, you know, I tend to have a lot of clients as well who stock in tons of supplements, right? And, um, you know, I think it's pick it one and the good one and the right one. And we talk about the uh, quality. How do we know which one, which oil is better? How we, what stands for quality? How we creating, how the quality is created on well, the oil? Well, here in America, yeah, that's a great question. Here in America, we have the COA, which is called Certificate of Analysis. I would always request to see one if uh, if you're trying to buy it on your own um, and probably in Europe everywhere they should really should have it because this is where is it grown how were there pesticides in there is there are there mold byproducts in there is it contaminated and I'll actually give you a rundown a list of basically the all the rigorous testing that it's been through and they're actually criteria they're about five criteria um, everything you know making sure there are no pesticides it's not contaminated um, the level, the amount of CBD versus THC. So that's what we call a COA or certificate of analysis. If it's a very high quality CBD, the company should produce it. No problem. We also have here, you know, when we get into the more, um, prescribed medical marijuana, we have authorized dispensaries here. Um, and if you're getting that, you can absolutely always ask them, can I see that certificate and make sure I'm getting a pure product? They should provide it for you and there should be no problem. That is what's going to set the quality apart. See, that's the problem if you're buying it just in a store. It's kind of like use at your own risk. That's what I say. R right. And I agree with you. You know, you can buy the CBD oil everywhere. I go every Sunday to yeah. farmer's market and I see the okay. CBD oil standing, <laughs> right? Um, so, you know, maybe when yeah. it's, uh, it, we need to check it, the quality, right? Uh, and again, that is the reason yeah, I'm call, speaking call to company. you. Yes. Yeah, call the company. If you're buying that same product, what I would do is, you know, if you're buying at a farmer's market, you're not going to be able to get it there. But, you know, what you can do is investigate that company, uh, the brand that you're using, you know, call them up and say, you know, do some research and look at that uh, and say, do you have a certificate of analysis? Do you have the ingredients that are in here? I'd like to really see if this is safe for me. Like every way we and get encouraging uh, everyone to be uh, own advocate of health, right? And yes, be curious be about That's what you eat, point. what you take, uh, who is your trainer, who you buy in this, yes. uh, I don't know, supplements from, just do your own research. Uh, yeah. Can we remind once again how uh, the CBD uh, works in our body? So we, like I mentioned, we have the ECS, which is the endocannabinoid system. We have receptors all over the body, in the brain, in every organ, the gut, everywhere, um, even in the skin. So these receptors are looking for cannabis to attach to it. And just like uh, medications and vitamins work, it sets up this series of reactions that when it binds to these re receptors, it elicits these reactions to occur. So for example, if we take um, serotonin, right, whether it's a pharmaceutical medication or a vitamin, it's going to attach to receptor and it's going to work because we're usually deficient in those things. So it's going to attach to receptor and do its job. Serotonin is going to make you happy and calm you down. Same thing with CBD. Because we have it everywhere in the body, there's tons of receptors that manage everything from pain to inflammation to mood to um, your sleep, your melatonin. And the problem is because we don't have enough of that in our body, everybody now has problems, right? Everybody has anxiety, everybody has insomnia, everybody has inflammation, leaky gut. So what CBD does when we ingest it or use it topically, it gets into the body, binds to these receptors, and it starts doing its job. And that's that's in a nutshell really how it works. And I'm trying to put it as simply as I can for the lay people, but that's really how it works. Their receptors are looking for that to attach to so it can start doing its job. Right. It's a beautiful description and we're looking for an easy way for our audience to understand. Mm -hmm. What is the difference between CBD and marijuana? Is there any difference? Yeah. So we, this, the difference is it's cannabis, right? And so we say uh, CBD, we say marijuana, we say hemp. When we say marijuana, I think we're referring to the CBD plus THC. I think that's what people 
you know, if we're going to get into the scientific description, that might be too much. So like I said, let's just say cannabis is the, is the whole umbrella. And under cannabis, we have CBD hemp, and then we have the marijuana. Um, and basically it's, um, under cannabis, you're going to have the CBD, the THC, and all those hundreds of other compounds. That is pre- pretty much how I explain to patients. If you're going to say hemp versus marijuana, then it's a difference between CBD and THC. Okay, beautiful. And um, what are any con- they are, and what they are a contraindication uh, for whom uh, can we be using the CBD oil? Honestly, that. There are really no absolute contraindications. We talk about in medicine, absolute versus relative contraindications. Absolute is you absolutely cannot use it. This is one thing you shouldn't use it in. To be honest, I don't really think there are any absolute contraindications. Now, it depends on who you speak to. There's going to be a lot of um, physicians that are going to be absolutely anti-marijuana, anti-cannabis. But again, that's from probably a lack of education and everything that I discussed with you. And that's why giving you the history of it was so important. Um To be honest, I think I would use caution in teenagers and children because I think what studies have shown, because the brain is still developing, overuse of cannabis, and I'm going to use the word cannabis because that includes everything, overuse of cannabis can affect the development of the neurons in the brain. And that's why when people get stoned, you feel like they're just kind of like, their reflexes slow down, right? Again, you can't die from an overdose, but you can have your reflexes slow down. You can get maybe not overly nauseous. Um, there is a syndrome called hyperemesis syndrome where there is a cyclical vomiting that's associated with that. Again, that is you have to talk with a practitioner and see what is the dose that you're taking, how frequently you're taking it. But on the contrary, they have done studies in the older people that once the brain is developed. So let's say something after age 25. And they've actually found that it slows down plaque formation, which is responsible for dementia. So I think the caution that I would use is in the younger generation, is in the teenagers, because the brain is still forming and it's still kind of, we call it neuroplasticity. There's still a lot of changes that are occurring. Um, The neurons are still trying to develop in the brain. That's about it. I mean, to be honest, there are no true contraindications. It is safe because our body needs it. If you have the receptors in the body, and animals have it too, by the way. Um, this is such a primitive system that they've actually found it in the primitive sea sponges in sea life. Um, you know, for these creatures that don't have a complicated brain or actually no brain at all to actually have the ECS is fascinating. So when we discovered that it was actually there before our brain fully developed, that is proof and pudding that we need it. So there are really no contraindications. Right. And how does uh, CBD oil work uh, on our gut? We have a lot of receptors in the gut. So what uh, a lot of the studies are showing is that it actually helps with leaky gut. It actually helps with gut motility. So people who have um, gastroparesis where the gut doesn't move, they might have constipation. Um, It helps with all those. And as I mentioned before, we produce so much of our serotonin, which is the neurotransmitter that's associated with helping depression and anxiety, right? When we take these medications like Prozac and Soloft, those are called SSRIs. It actually is shown to work synergistically with the serotonin production because we have a lot of those receptors in the gut. So it helps balance our mood. If people have IBS, which is irritable bowel syndrome, they will tend to have issues Uh, with diarrhea or constipation. Typically when people get anxious and nervous, their stomach heart hurts, right? You've heard the saying like, I feel it in my gut or have butterflies in my stomach. It's a gut instinct. All those really mean something because our gut is our second brain. It actually has five times as many neurons and nerves as our spinal cord does. So it controls a lot of our physical and our mental aspects. So The gut is just laden with receptors, so it helps our mood, it helps the inflammation, it is actually very helpful in Crohn's and ulcerative colitis, those inflammatory conditions, very powerful in decreasing inflammation. Right. So if you have someone who, for example, experienced those type of conditions, what is generally the, how they, what would be the prescription for? So how would you start to treat someone? You straight giving them CBD oil or how does it look, the process? Yeah, I always recommend CBD oil for really all my patients because to be honest, everybody that comes in to see me um, or that I talk to, um, 
there's always top three things. It's always weight issues. They feel tired and they have trouble sleeping or their mood is off and they're anxious. So I always recommend, Hey, this is something that's going to work. I give them background on it how we have the receptors. I say, give it a try. Um, some of them are a little tentative. They get a little nervous. They go, oh my gosh, this is a drug. And then I, I explain it to them. And when you have a physician explaining it to you in a medical perspective, their fears get allayed. They feel comfortable and they know now that there's a medical use for it. With the people who have something a little more significant, and actually people come to me, they, find, they know that I prescribe medical marijuana, that I'm licensed to do so. And they actually come to me and say, listen, I've tried everything. I've even tried CBD. I really want to apply for medical marijuana. And again, I screen the patients. You know, If someone just wants to come and use it and I feel like they're just going to use it really for no reason, um, I'll say, let's just kind of stick with the CBD because it's a process to get the medical marijuana through the state. But most people will have some legit condition, you know, they have cancer, they have MS, they have PTSD, they have severe anxiety, insomnia. I'm seeing a lot of people with autoimmune disease with no family history of it. Things like uh, lupus, Hashimoto's, rheumatoid arthritis. So when I assess the patient, I always recommend CBD. And then I'll say, if it's something that's a little more complicated, I'll say, let's try maybe medical marijuana. Or like I said, they actually come to me and ask for it because they've done their research. What I find is people who actually understand about CBD or cannabis or medical marijuana, these are the people that are their own advocates for their health. They're not the kind of patients who just go to the doctor and take a pharmaceutical and don't say anything. These are people who will fight along the way to just have betterment of their uh, mind, body, spirit, and they won't take no for an answer. They're not going to sit there and say, okay, I'll just take my Prozac. That's fine. These are people who are fighting for their health and they want to get better. And they don't believe that there's nothing wrong with them, you know, because we're not treating the numbers on a lab. We're treating the patient. And that's the downfall in the medicine that I practice uh, or traditional medicine is a patient's not feeling well, but their labs come back looking normal. And I'm putting quotes around that, but we're telling them, no, nothing's wrong with you. You're fine. And I will tell you, that's how all my patients come to me. It's like, I'm not fine, but everybody's telling me I'm fine. And I see a lot of patients in my practice. I see children as young as two years old to patients as old as 95 years old. I see 50% male and female. My average age range is about 35 to 65. But I'll tell you that younger crowd that comes to me, they say, because I look healthy, they don't believe that I'm sick. And that to me is very sad because when I do their lab tests and I check their neurotransmitters and their gut health, there's so much that's wrong with them. And that's where I suggest trying CBD. And they're like, oh my gosh, I'm so happy because I was reading about it and I wanted to ask you. So they already kind of know. And um, I'm lucky to have more of that kind of patient base because I think these are more advanced patients who are not just um, caught up in the traditional healthcare system and they're questioning everything. Right. And, you know, I remember when I uh, used uh, the CBD, uh, it was when my sister passed away. And uh, I must tell you that I don't know how I would and all my family, how we would go through that seven, seven days before we actually let her down. Uh, it was very difficult and very hard. And um, what I'm what I wanted to share is the experience. I really was feeling that that disconnection in that matter was in a good way that the CBD gave me because I did not reach that deeper emotional understanding, which I didn't really want to go into. And that's that's why, uh, again, I wanted to uh, talk with you because uh, I think it has so much benefits for me and I saw it in a clinical manifestation, right? And knowing that there is so much, so much science and there is a literature before and there is a history before is just a very positive and hopeful way for so many people, as you said, with autoimmune conditions and we see this all the time, right? Absolutely. And, you know, mm-hmm. again, learning the history of it is really going to make people understand um really where it comes from. And I I didn't mention this and I really want to mention this um, fact. And I I mentioned that, you know, in, uh, you know, my culture that it is like thousands and thousands of years old and it's actually associated with Lord Shiva, who is one of the gods in the Trinity. And he's actually seen, you know, with the cannabis plant um, and it's called the giver of joy. But what's really interesting is when they started doing research and um, 
they discovered the receptors. One of the receptors is actually named um, anandamide. And um, ananda in Sanskrit, which is one of the most ancient languages in the world, said to have given rise to Latin, is actually means bliss. And that's the name of one of our receptors. And these receptors were just discovered, you know, a couple of decades ago. But to actually go back to that ancient Sanskrit and name one of the receptors, you know, bliss, because like you said, it's to get in touch with your deeper emotional state, right? Um, and I think people don't understand that when they're when you're taking that is cannabis is the embodiment of mind, body, spirit. You get in touch with your inner self. You you know you have more of a deeper insight, I think, to um, who you are. It gives you, you know, that term that we feel high. That term came about because it's we feel this outer body experiences, uh, and we feel that we can look at ourselves from a different perspective that, you know, there's just this different um, perspective that we have on ourselves. And back in the 1800s, there was this uh, French, uh, I guess, philosopher, and um, he had a really nice quote and it says the brain on marijuana will never deviate from its destined disposition or be driven to madness. Marijuana is a mirror reflecting man's deepest thoughts, a magnifying mirror. And it's true, but only ever a mirror. And I think when you actually look at that and you understand just the science behind it, the emotional aspect, the physical, mental well-being, you'll understand why it's so vital for us to live. And this is so amazing is in America, especially so many people are now giving CBD to their pets here in America and everywhere in the world. We love our pets, especially dogs, right? They're so loyal. They're so loving. And unfortunately, a lot of them suck, you know, um, suck them to cancer. They, um, you know, develop diabetes and things like that. And we don't want to see our pets in pain, but, um, a lot of my patients will come to my practice and buy the CBD um, for their pets. And they say it's made them so much better. They are not in pain. It helps their anxiety. Like for example, if they get scared when it thunders and light lightens outside, they get scared of that. And it helps decrease their anxiety because all animals have that endocannabinoid system too. We're all wired this way. We all feel the same thing. So as this research progresses, We'll find more, you know, we always start with research in mice and I always say of mice and men, you know, it's like, it's going to translate to the human, but if we're seeing such positive things in animals, then clearly it's, it's working for humans as well too. I mean, I see it every day. It's just, we need science to back it up. It's beautiful. All what you're saying and seems like the, uh, this has a capacity to join mind, body and spirit, right? Yeah, it's the embodiment of that. And yes. I think that's a, that defines everything, yes. Right. And uh, what are the functions on our sleep? Well, you know, in the brain, well, you know, we think of melatonin. Um, and uh, unfortunately, as we age, we decrease all our production of everything, our human growth hormone, our melatonin, all our hormones. So when the brain is wired in all the areas of the brain, the hippocampus, the amygdala, all there's areas of the brain that are responsible for different functions, for our mood, for our emotions, for our sleep. So those receptors, as we age, now when we're younger, they're really it, typically no issues with sleep. I mean, we always say sleep, you know, like a baby, you know, we sleep really well. We have a lot of human growth hormone, but as we age, we start having a lot more issues with inflammation. People are not healthy, right? We get into our twenties and we're just not eating right and everything like that. So people's sleep gets compromised. Uh, gets affected. And what happens is when we take the CBD, it's very calming. It works. Um, you know, I'd rather give someone CBD than say, go take an Ambien. I mean, so it works on those receptors and neurotransmitters that allow healthy production of things like melatonin. It saturates those receptors that are calming. It works with a GABA, which is a calming neurotransmitter. And as we age, all these neurotransmitters in men and women. Okay. It's not just women who go through menopause, men go through andropause or menopause where all their hormones decrease as well. It's just that women, we have a little more complex system of hormones, but we actually all have the same hormones, testosterone and estrogen, but it works on that aspect as well too. And we can talk even about fertility and things like that, but in the brain, it's very calming. So it helps with sleep. It induces calmness. Um, just like other things we take for sleep, you know, like magnesium and stuff like that. So they all work synergistically, but, you know, I don't want to go into so much of the, you know, the neuro uh, biology of it because it'll be hard to understand, but it's again, just working on the receptors and the neurotransmitters in the brain to enhance them and to help you calm down and relax and fall asleep. 
And it has an capacity of uh, increasing or decreasing cortisol. For example, uh, I see in my clinic, lots of patients actually are out high cortisol in the morning or throughout the day, or they are below the that green range. Does it yes. can help us? Oh my God, that's a great point. I do a lot of adrenal testing. And I'm so glad you brought that up because adrenal fatigue is so huge. You know, we talk about the HPA axis, um, which is a hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis. I actually call it the HPTA axis because the thyroid is <laughs> so important. But um, I do adrenal testing and I don't like to test cortisol on blood work because that's just a one-time level. I do a four-point saliva test. So it tests it from the morning until you go to sleep. And like you mentioned, it can be high above that green range, or it can be low, or you can have a sporadic high and low. And, you know, you always start off high in the morning. Um, I am not a coffee fan. I've never had a cup of coffee in my life and I don't suggest it. And I can give you 10 reasons why coffee is bad for you. But um, typically what's going to happen is people either wake up with a high or, or low cortisol in the morning, and then they usually end the day with a very high cortisol. They're wired, but tired. So I always um, say, if you're going to take CBD, I'll tell them the specific times of day to take it based on their cortisol peaks and troughs. Um, and if they're having a very exceptionally high cortisol at a certain time in the day, you know, I do put them on adaptogenic herbs as well. So things like your um, uh, ancient Ayurvedic uh, herbs that are so popular now, like ashwagandha, rhodiola, holy basil. So I, I do use other things with it. Um, but if uh, they have high cortisol or low cortisol, I'll usually tell them the appropriate time of day to take it and why it would help. I'm, I'm so happy that you mentioned all the adaptogenic herbs uh, because I actually um, will speak with some uh, of herbalists here in UK and we're going to actually talk specifically about adaptogenic herbs because they're very potent and they are just amazing. I love so much oh uh, and yes. I use them a lot. Um, Deepa, I have a question. Uh, how Deepa does her wellness? What do you do to stay well what and to I feel? What do I do? Yes, yes. everybody is- I, I love, you know, I love posting everything that I do on my social media, on Instagram and Facebook. Those are my two main platforms. So everybody can follow me on there. But, um, you know, th- my philosophy in life is you have to work and mesh your professional and personal lives. I don't go home and become someone else. I don't wear a different hat when I'm at work than when I'm at home. Sometimes I'll come to work in my fitness clothes. I'm a very avid fitness nut. I'm a plant-based advocate. I am a plant-based eater. Uh, Four pillars of my health, my lifestyle are clean diet, exercise, restorative sleep, and stress reduction. And if all those four pillars are balanced, you're going to have the embodiment of the mind, body, spirit, wellness. So I start off, I, um, I'm a morning person. I believe that, you know, you need adults need seven to eight hours of sleep. Children need anywhere from 10 to 12 hours of sleep. Um, but adults, we still need that eight hours of sleep. So I make sure I get always seven hours of sleep at least sometimes, you know, if I'm super busy six and a half, but I'll try to make it up the next day, but always about seven hours of sleep. I wake up about six in the morning. Um, I wake up naturally. I actually never have used an alarm clock. I wake up because my body tells me I have to wake up because I have to go to the bathroom and that's where gut health comes in. Um, I wake up, I first thing I do, because I've never had a cup of coffee in my life is I do warm lemon water with some organic baking soda and some um, Ayurvedic herbs like neem and amla. Um, And then I work out. I love working out in the morning. And then I make myself a plant-based smoothie. So I have, you know, fruits and vegetables, non-dairy milk. I use hemp and chia and I use a plant-based protein powder, typically pea protein. And that's my breakfast. And um, I love eating in the morning. Then I do intermittent fasting through the day. I'm so busy at work. Um, I don't really typically have a lunch. If I do, I have some healthy snacks like lentil chips, um, broccoli, blueberries, you know, uh, some granola, something like that. I do love a dinner. I, my um, rule is do not have a uh, dinner past about 7 p.m. But I know it's difficult in certain cultures and being Indian, I know we eat typically late. Um, Indians love eating dinner usually around nine or 10. I know also in the Latin culture, um, I I go to the Dominican a lot. Um, Their dinner time is usually nine to 10 as well. So I understand their cultural variations. Maybe in Europe, you do something different. Um, And certainly the lifestyle in Europe is you probably do things a little better than we do. I would say that Americans have the highest stress level. Um, I think it's important to take time after you eat to rest and digest. So I typically will not eat during the day. I'll eat a clean and healthy dinner. I get, I am plant-based, so I don't do any animal products. I avoid eggs, meat, and dairy. And I always make it a point to meditate. Um, I do 
a lot of fitness. Uh, I like hit exercise. I like high intensity, but I also do some yoga um, and I meditate. I chant mantras every day. I grew up doing that. Um, I wake up first thing I do in the morning as I chant a mantra before I go to sleep. I do that. I think it's very important to connect to myself. We don't often take deep breaths. Um, and I love giving. I, I feel gratitude is a huge part. Um, those were all the physical things that I do, but I feel that so much of what we are, if not over 90% of what we do is manifested by our mind. I work on energy so I can meet someone and tell instantly their energy. And if I have good vibes with them or not, I can connect with the person. I don't waste my energy on time uh, on people who I don't connect with. And I will still serve them and help them because obviously as a physician, I have to see hundreds and thousands of patients. Um, and I will never turn anyone away. I'm just saying this is more of a connection thing for me. I thrive off of good energy. And I believe in just giving, I, not having expectations. I love lecturing. I love spreading the wealth of health. I believe that what you put out to the universe, you receive a 10,000 fold back. And I have no expectations. My goal until the day I die is to just educate people and help people. And that is why I post what I do on social media. That is why I sit here and I talk with patients I, you know, I do things after hours. I work probably 15 hours a day, but you know, 12 to 15 hours a day. I have three boys. I'm a single mom of three boys, amazing three boys. They're, they're intelligent, they're athletic. Um, and I'm doing the best I can to raise them on my own, but, um, it's important to surround yourself with good people. Um, I'm not much of a person who really enjoys a big crowd. I get overstimulated. I'm an empath. I'm a cancerian. I actually function very well in solitude, but um, it's important to have a good connection with people, even if it's a few people. Um, I'm just not the type of person who would have like a hundred friends. I actually do very well with two or three people I can have deep conversations with. And everything that I'm saying is the, again, embodiment of mind, body, spirit for myself. It's everything that I do from the moment I wake up to how I interact with people to what I do right before I go to sleep. And I think if you can imagine things, you can manifest it. I can't tell you how many times I've thought of something or someone and it's manifested in front of me. I thought about someone and I haven't spoken to in like uh, a year and I get a text from them that very same day. So I really feel your energy is uh, can vibrate at higher levels. And if you can tap into that and have that awareness, it's going to be very powerful. Deepa, you know, at this moment, I um, I just want to, because we are talking and I uh, we had a discussion about my little project as well uh, that I want to dedicate for women. And uh, at this moment, I would like to finally say that Deepa is going to be one of the physicians that is going to uh, join a series of podcasts called uh, Women Body Real Story. And that series is going to be dedicated to women's health optimization and top performance. Uh, so that is going to be our uh, little gift for uh, women around the, around the world. Uh, dear Deepa, thank you so much for joining me and giving uh, us all the light on the cannabis oils and uh, all the science and, uh, and the history background. Thank My you pleasure. for thank you. Thank you for listening to Daria Tiesler Pursuit of Wellness podcast. If you want to know more, check out my website www.dariatiesler.com. Join Pursuit of Wellness podcast next time when we talk optimization in functional blood testing for your health and sport performance. Thank you and see you soon. This podcast intends to optimize your health and well-being and does not substitute medical advice. This podcast does not intend to sell and I do not get any profits from sales.